Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World. I am your host, Phil Pustiowski, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about the seven ways real estate investors fail, as well as what you can do to avoid those pitfalls. You know, I have been around for a very long time in this business. I have done thousands of deals, and I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have a very interesting position out there because being that I am a podcast host, I have a a very successful YouTube channel. I have blog articles all over the place. I have books out there. I have people coming to me all the time with their problems. (laughs) You know, I hear their, their war stories. I deal with motivated sellers and they have their own set of war stories for the properties they've owned. I've, I've seen so many bad situations. And so you can be rest assured that in this podcast, I am sharing with you the uh, seven most common, the top ways that people fail, as well as how you can avoid them. And we'll get started right away with the number one being that people quit. Seems obvious, right? If you quit trying this process of being a real estate investor, if you quit, you're obviously going to fail. And so what I've discovered is the majority of people who try this, they quit. For a myriad of reasons. Some people quit because they don't get instant results. That seems to be kind of an epidemic this uh, day and age, whereby if somebody doesn't instantly make a million dollars, they go on to something else. And what I call the grass is greener syndrome. So you have to be patient with real estate. It can take a while to produce the results you want. So, you know, in, in a small case of example, some people just don't like real estate. Uh, but for the most part, what the issue is, is that they quit for the fact that they haven't reached the results they were hoping for. And in some re- ways, they didn't get there because of the other six that I'm about to uh, share with you right here. So how do you avoid um, this catastrophe of quitting? Well, as simple as this sounds, you just stick to it. You know, because if you did nothing else but this one right, I mean, if you if you did everything else wrong, but you you held to this standard of not quitting, you'd eventually figure it out. There's absolutely no question you'd you'd absolutely figure it out. And I think it's actually encouraging in a way that a lot of people quit because when you become active in your local area and you become successful, you're going to hope that some people quit because when they quit, it means that more deals are for you. And you'll notice that if you're out there long enough, you'll realize that the majority of people you saw two years ago are no longer out there. The majority of people move on to different things. I mean, some people just move on to, quote, bigger and better things, which I'll talk about in a moment. The point is, uh, number one, that people quit. Number two, people run out of money. This is a great uh, problem for a lot of different people who get into real estate. They, they run out of money, and that's why they have to quit. That's why they roll out of this thing, and that's why they fail. Well, there's a couple of reasons why that happens. Number one, some people quit their day job. I did that. Really stupid. Don't do that. Um, stick to your day job until your real estate is making more money than your day job. Um, because real estate is a business of big paydays and long pay delays sometimes. And so you've got to be able to weather those storms until you really get the business dialed in. Um, if you're not closing any deals, if you're not making any money at all, that's obviously an easy way to run out of, out of money. But also a, a less talked about but oftentimes powerful way to lose money is to have a lot of overhead. There's this myth that if you own your own business, you need some big fancy office and you need the nice pens and the really fancy business cards and on and on and on. You know, big overhead will kill you. 
But that's what's wonderful about being a real estate investor. You don't need big overhead. You can work from your home and make an absolute killing. You don't need any overhead. And I remember a, a business uh, mentor of mine, this was back in the day before they had computers, his argument, and he was from Australia, his argument was, he said, you should be able to start a business with a telephone and a toilet, and that's all you need. <laughs> and that's how he talked to. <laughs> so you don't need much. Keep it simple. Computer, cell phone, um, you know, a printer, scanner, copier thing, and you should be good to go. And I'll give you a quick example in business, uh, Warren Buffett. He's one of the most successful investors of all time. One of the business holdings he's kept for a very long time is his position in the company Geico, the insurance company. And in his latest uh, shareholder letter, Warren Buffett said, uh, Geico continues to dominate because of their low costs, because they have such low overhead. They have, and this is the word he used, a moat around the business that other people can't penetrate because they have such a low-cost approach to how they deliver insurance. So keep that in mind. You can win big sometimes just by keeping low costs. You don't need to look the part. Just be the part. Be the rich guy. You don't have to look rich. All right, uh, number three on the list is of failures, that you know, common ways to fail, is, is to do bad deals. Now, that might sound obvious. Okay, I get it, Phil. You do a bad deal and you lose a bunch of money. That's how you fail. I get it. And from one perspective, that's true. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing out there, and we'll talk about that in a moment, if you, you, you might do some bad deals. But I would argue the bigger issue has to do with one's discipline, mental discipline. It is a lot harder to say no to a marginal or maybe deal than it is to say yes. Everybody wants to say yes because yes means potentially doing a big deal. And then there's the issue, of course, of if you've never done a deal or you're desperate for a deal, you start lowering your standards and you start taking on deals you shouldn't do. I see this all the time out there. I see these real estate investors that have been in business a long time that have a crew of renovator uh, or contractor people that they want to keep busy, that they don't want them to go to a different job. So they take on a marginal deal just to keep their people busy. That's a bad idea. You have to be very selective in the deals that you put your own money into or the deals that you get hard money for or the deals you take down. I do a lot of referring. I refer a lot of deals to, to different people that aren't going to be great deals, but they're marginal. You know, a quick nickel beats a slow dime. So you've got to be very intelligent about the deals that you actually put your time, energy, and money into if, if you end up putting money into it or, or somebody's money, whether it's yours or somebody you, you work with, a hard money lender, private lender. So doing bad deals, great way to fail. Uh, number four is this um, penchant for moving on to bigger and better deals. So number four on the list is someone thinking the grass is greener. So they start taking on bigger deals. They get distracted on random pursuits and they end up losing their cash cow. That happens so often, not just in real estate, but in all business. It's so easy for somebody to have a cash cow. It's working so well. They get bored of it. They want to move on to bigger and better things. They get confident because they did well in that one pursuit. So they want to move on. Well, I do practice what I preach. I still operate in the realm of residential real estate like I always have. And we're talking single family homes, condos, townhomes, uh, duplexes, triplexes, quads. I, I don't work on the bigger commercial deals. I get that question a lot too. Phil, you've been in this business so long. You're so successful. Why don't you move on to big commercial deals? 
And I tell them because this is my cash cow. This is where I make my money. Why do I want to go on somewhere else? I'm living large and in charge where I'm at. <laughs> okay, so that's number four. Moving on to bigger and better deals. You want to, if you want to go on to bigger deals, absolutely, that's that's certainly encouraged. But don't lose your cash cow. Don't lose uh, the stuff that's already bringing in great money. Yes, add something new. But if you add something new, do it intelligently where you don't give up the thing that's been uh, got you where you are today. All right, number five, one of the one of the most um, underrated uh, failure uh, ways is to get lucky. What do I mean by get lucky? I mean that you get lucky on a deal and you just make a killing. You make a ton of money on a deal. And then what you do is you make the wrong associations about how that deal came about. You think it has to do maybe with your uh, incredible intelligence or your savvy for picking a great deal. And you get confident and you get overconfident. Because technically you didn't know exactly what happened, but you thought you knew what happened. And that's even more dangerous is the, um, is the confident person in, in incorrect data. And that gives that false sense of security. And in some cases, people get a little arrogant, too big for their britches. I, I use that phrase, too big for your britches. So, uh, you know, in fact, Proverbs says in sixteen sixteen says, how much better to get wisdom than gold to get insight rather than silver. You know, so this concept of getting lucky is uh, um, and making money when you didn't really know what you were doing. Uh, this has been around for four thousand years. <laughs> so you've you're almost better off struggling a little bit in the beginning because you learn what what makes for a successful deal and what just makes for getting lucky. So uh, you want to um, hopefully be successful as quickly as possible, but at the same time not uh, be successful in a way that was completely lucky because then you can make some wrong associations. Okay, number six is uh, a bad partnership. That's a common way for people to fail. I have seen this over and over and over again. Um, partnerships can be wonderful. Partnerships can be so productive because uh, two can be um, a lot more efficient than just one. However, if you're working with the wrong partner, it can be a real nightmare. And a lot of real estate investors get partnerships going early and they don't do it wisely. What they end up doing is they they get together with somebody. Uh, and here's my theory, by the way. And I don't, I mean, I don't know that I can prove this in all situations, but a lot of the time, uh, people get into real estate investing because they want to be successful financially. And they're encouraged by the potential options that uh, give them the freedom and flexibility of a great lifestyle. However, it's not necessarily the most well-respected industry in society. I mean, if you're at a cocktail party and you tell somebody you're going to be a real estate investor, oftentimes they go, oh, like flipping houses and stealing homes from little old ladies and foreclosure and we buy houses signs and the side of the road. Oh, one of those people. I mean, there is a negative connotation to the industry. Now, I uh, I hope by wa- uh, listening to these these podcasts, watching my videos, and learning from me, hopefully you can be a force for good out there and, and give this this industry a better name. However, uh, that is what society looks upon uh, this industry as. And if especially if you're just trying to start this thing for the first time and you're coming out of a, a lifestyle of being an employee, maybe you have friends, family, fam- um, you know, significant others, people in your life that are telling you you're not going to be able to do this. So a combination of those two factors, uh, you know, bad uh, – it doesn't have a good reputation, and you you have people in your life that don't um, 
have full confidence in your ability to do it, all of a sudden you need that confidence. So you go out and find somebody else. You find a friend to do it with you. So you two are together and so you can be moral support. I see it all the time. I did it personally. I know what I'm talking about here. (laughs) And uh, what can happen though is that relationship could be severed very easily with one bad deal. Because perhaps the two parties are the blind leading the blind. They're both good people. They both care about each other, but they both know as little or less about the business as the other person. And then they may not be bringing any value to the table. You know, maybe they're, they're bringing money, but they're not bringing any other insight. And so it just, it causes problems. I, uh, I had, uh, Two friends of mine from college, they had grown up together. They knew each other since they were little. And um, when they got into the um, into the business world, one became an attorney. The other became a contractor. They started doing uh, renovation deals together. One deal went bad. They never talked again. Entire relationship severed. Lifelong relationship severed. Um, I saw another example where uh, two people that had invented um, toe-in surfing. You may have seen this on on a television show or, or on a movie or on a commercial where somebody gets towed in from a jet ski onto these gigantic 40, 50, 60-foot waves. Um, and they, uh, they ride these waves, and they couldn't ride them without the jet ski. And uh, these two guys invented it. Um, and they, or at least they made it mainstream. And those two guys ended up buying some land together, uh, really close to a, a very famous, uh, surf break that has these huge waves. Well, the deal went bad and they never talked again. These guys have been friends for, for years and years and years. I can give you an example, even a close personal, uh, family friends of mine, uh, we used to spend the holidays with every holiday, the three families, my family, and these other two families would spend the holidays together at least one of the days. Maybe it was Christmas, maybe it was New Year's Day. And uh, anyways, not my family, but the other two families, they went in on a real estate deal together, went bad, and they no longer talk. <laughs> these are people that spent 20 years of each holiday together. All of a sudden, one real estate deal severs their entire relationship. This stuff happens so common. So you have to be careful with partnerships. In most cases, avoid them. The difference would be if you're working with somebody who absolutely knows exactly what they're doing in a major way, and they're bringing tremendous value, partnerships can be incredible because 50% of something is a whole lot more than 100% of nothing. And now, uh, we as mentors in, in my uh, apprentice program, uh, we share in the profits with the with the people that we apprentice, that we mentor. And so... We actually create tremendous profits that would never be available because of our um, our background and what we know about this business and, and how we know how to mentor people and change their lives. Uh, so it can work. The partnership angle can work, and I've had very successful partnerships. Uh, but it, it just you have to be very selective on who you work with, and also keep this in mind as well. Have something uh, written out on what happens when the partnership dissolves or what the end of the partnership is. A lot of people do these uh, partnerships with their friends when they first get started for an indefinite period of time. Now, I understand you don't go into a marriage thinking about divorce, but with a business partnership, you have to go into it thinking about what happens at the end or how is it going to end. Okay. And then uh, let's go back over those six and then we'll, we'll hit on the last one. First one again was uh, is to quit. That's, that's, that's obvious. You quit, you're out of the game. Obviously you failed. You run out of money. Now, obviously, if you if you quit your day job, that's an easy way to run out of money. But a less obvious way is if you have high overhead. Keep the overhead low. Keep the deals closing. <laughs> that helps. Uh, don't do bad deals. Have the discipline to say no on marginal deals. Refer those deals out. Still make money on them, but don't uh, don't get uh, pinned on them. Uh, the ad- the attitude of moving on to bigger and better deals. Uh, but giving away your cash cow, keep your cash cow coming in, and then maybe start some some um, bigger deals on the side. 
getting lucky on a deal and not knowing where that where that success came from. Uh, that can be very dangerous. Uh, a bad partnership, we just talked about that. Those are very common, especially among beginners. So be wise in your partnerships. And then number seven, not knowing what you're doing. This is a business whereby there is a lot of hidden knowledge required to really be good at it. Because frankly, if it was so easy and if it was such common sense, everybody be doing it and everybody be successful with it. But the reality is a lot of people fail miserably in real estate. They really, really do. You need the right education. However, that is a little bit more complicated than me just simply saying you need the right education. Because number one, you have to have the capacity to be able to comprehend it. There's a lot of people that after they get out of college, they have stopped using their brain. They've gone into a job where they once they learn the basics of that job, they go to that job every single day, and then when they get home from uh, from work, they're watching television. Uh, by the way, television, just so you know, uh, you use more brain activity when you're sleeping than television. And that's the reason why when you turn your head away from the television, there's a slight pain. Because all of a sudden, you have to start looking at something um, and actually uh, using more of your brain than than when you were actually watching television. So the television actually sucks brain uh, power away from you because what it does is it, it, it puts your brain into a dormant mode. So if you're not used to using your brain, then what can happen is you become less and less, uh, I, should, I shouldn't say intelligent, but less and less good at having information stick in your brain and comprehend it, or what I call intelligence absorption. So the first problem is, is even if you have the perfect education, you have to be able to um, absorb that information. And so what's the solution? You've got to use your brain. You've got to continue to constantly be using your brain. Uh, watch less television. Uh, use your brain more. And the more you use your brain, it's like a muscle. And the more you exercise, it, the better it gets. So uh, it also means that if you eat healthy, if you have a, a, a relatively stress-free lifestyle, if you get some exercise in, there's a lot of things that go into your ability to retain information um, that all play a role in this. Okay, so let's assume you, you've got that part worked out. You, your brain is just amazing. It's like a sponge. Um, then you have to weed through all of the terrible information out there that's not going to help you. Because the reality is, in this information age, there's a lot more noise than there is signal. Noise is all of that information that is not going to help you, that is going to lead you astray. And the signal is that truth, that, that those points of clarity, they're abs absolutely accurate. And finding the signal amongst all that noise out there is quite difficult. Now, I'm a bit biased when I tell you that I, what I share is signal. Uh, and that'll be up to you to decide if what I share is truly signal. But you have got a real challenge on your hands to, to sort through all of the different books, podcasts, videos, blog articles, and all of the information that you can um, acquire to find what's truly signal. And I have found that there are very few people out there that provide true signal. And I'm talking about blog posts, videos, podcasts, books, everything. Very few fully understand this business at the level they should to be able to teach. You've got some uh, differing issues that you have to look at when you hear from people that are trying to teach you. And the main thing you need to ask yourself is why are they teaching you? So uh, is the person um, telling you that some local marketplace is incredibly hot right now and there's great jobs and there's great infrastructure and blah, 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 or are they trying to sell turnkey properties in that location? 
is it a is it a real estate guru trainer on a on a webinar or on some seminar stage trying to tell you about how to get rich in real estate but uh fo- their real focus is to sell you a course uh is there is it somebody that was in the business and was very 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 successful uh, but no longer is in the business, and it's been a long time, but they've become really good at selling courses and whatnot, and they've gone up on their seminar stages, and they've become fantastic at wooing a crowd. So you've got to be able to weed through that. You've got to have some intuition. You've got to have some discernment, if you will. And you may be asking, well, Phil, why are you giving us such great information? Well, I'll tell you why, because number one, um, I am I am trying to bring into my uh, in, into my program, my apprentice program, highly educated, intelligent people. So I want to make sure that the people that listen to my podcast, they may end up, some of them may end up joining my apprentice program. I want them to make sure that they are first class. They know what the heck they're doing. And I share some great broad strokes in my, in my podcast and my videos, but obviously there's an entirely new level of training that, that goes into real estate investing um, that usually can only be learned, not from a book, not from a video or a podcast, but can only be found in the real world of actually doing the business. So I understand that there's there's part of that knowledge is acquired just from the actual experimental um, parts of the business. So I'm number one. I'm 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 trying to bring new people into the program uh, that I have, and uh, by sharing uh, fantastic information, not only does that attract people to to what we do, but also it brings in people that already have their head on straight. I also do have this uh, passion for people to be doing this business right. Because in some cases, it's just killing all investors out there when you have a bunch of inexperienced investors doing the wrong stuff. It makes us all look bad. One bad apple can really destroy a, you know someone's attitude on investors. So hopefully by listening to my, my stuff, hopefully some people that even if they don't join my program, at least they go out there and do it right, <laughs> making us all look better. <laughs> So uh, those are my those are my angles, and you know where I'm coming from. And so you definitely want to know where people are coming from that are providing that education and information. I'll tell you probably the most destructive of all, though. It's not necessarily the person on that seminar stage that's trying to pitch you on some course. Uh, I'll tell you what the absolute biggest problem is. It's the local real estate investor who's been real successful in his local area, and uh, he thinks he knows what he's talking about, or she thinks she knows what she's talking about, and she's completely sincere. He's completely authentic and sincere, and he thinks he knows what he's talking about about, but he doesn't have the whole story. Those are the most dangerous because they sound the most persuasive. They're the ones that say, I've been doing this business for, uh, for five years here locally and, and, you know, in Idaho and I'm making all this money and then this is how it works and all the gurus are wrong and anybody. No, those people can be the worst to deal with. Um, where I come from is having not only been successful locally, uh, but I have been doing this business um, with, with our students all across the United States and Canada for a very long time. I've done thousands and thousands of deals. I can see things from a different perspective than most people can. I know what works better in New York than works in Washington, that works better in uh, California than, than Florida, than Texas, than, than you know what, what really fits amazingly well for Michigan and Minnesota, but doesn't fit very well for Kansas. I mean, I know these differences, but I also see the similarities. A lot of this stuff is very similar, too. You'd be surprised how similar the business is in Rhode Island versus in uh, Nevada. It's very, very similar in so many different ways. But having that perspective, I'm able to share this this knowledge and education, what I call you know signal. I'm able to share that uh, in such a way where most people can't. Now, I'm not saying I'm the only one out there. 
and I'm sure there's some other great uh, trainers out there, uh, but do have the discernment to know uh, who's giving you signal and who's giving you noise. So knowing, so not knowing what you're doing is a humongous problem, um, and it's a huge problem for most people. Uh, I believe that ultimately, if you want to be truly successful in this business or in any business, you have to have a mentor, have to have coaches around you, have to have some other people, because as as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Um, but you might be able to learn how to ride a bicycle by reading the manual. You might be that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. I can learn a lot from a book, and I do love reading books because it helps me get you know my a better perspective on what's going on. But then to truly learn that knowledge, I've always sought out mentors. Whether it's learning how to be a better fisherman, <laughs> learning how to surf better, obviously learning how to be a real estate investor, you know how to be a better communicator, you know how to be a better speaker, author, trainer, all these kinds of things. I've had mentors for all of these things. I think it makes a huge difference. All right, well, I'm Phil Pustiovsky. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Investing in the Real World. And what we just covered on this podcast was the seven ways, seven most common ways real estate investors fail. I hope you enjoyed this. If you really like it, please um, make a, a comment or a, um, or a rating here on this, this, uh, this podcast. That always does well for me. Check out my other videos and podcasts. And my videos are on YouTube, um, and you can type in my name and find the channel that way. You can also head to my website, freedommentor.com. I have a lot more resources there. Thanks so much for listening, and happy investing.